Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry, and we are continuing our study on the church in Systematic Theology 3. So, um, we're moving out of what is the church, and now we're going to get into the various ministries. I, I, I don't have, a, I'm writing this, and I don't have a better term than that. Um, it's a very large area though, so it's it's filled with strife, debate, confusion, and so we're going to try to take our time on it to the best of our ability without boring you guys. Um, but this gets into, you know, the sacraments or ordinances, um, and what we're going to do today is actually one that's a point of debate, and that is we'll start with the way the local church is to be governed. Now we say the local church because the Bible actually does not give us much information on how the universal church is governed. And the reason is simple. The universal church, if you'll recall, embodies all actual, as opposed to just professing believers. These are all actual believers since Acts chapter two. And so you have people alive and those dead and in the presence of Jesus. Um, but also some would also say that the universal church, I don't, I don't know what you would say. Would you say that the universal church includes also the elect who are not yet saved? Yes. Okay. I would. I, I, I mean, I'm Theologic- not, yeah, theologically, I'm not opposed to in that. In time, space, and history. Yeah. It's just kind of like, it is, it is what God has. It's, it's the people Christ, God, the father gave his son to save according to John six. So that would include all who are not yet saved, right? Yeah. Okay, um, there you go. We settled that issue. Bam. If only, like, <laughs> if only we could do that and everything, huh? Um, what does Matt and Matt say? Oh, well then that's what it is. <laughs> Life would be easy. Um, we'd probably be killed. Anyhow, when you look at the local church, that's where the debate actually starts to get. And so I thought it would be helpful if we could tell you a little bit about ourselves and our upbringing, because both of us come from similar, but also not similar backgrounds. Um, so Matt, you know, you're the younger, you were raised in what kind of a polity? Uh, <clears throat> I think it was, it was just a, like a, it was a Baptist church, but I, it was North American Baptist. No, it's general. Is that what it is yeah, now? It, it was general. Okay. Um, general Baptist Convention, whatever Piper's church was, um, General Baptist Convention, I think it was. Yeah. And this was, but it was congregational rule. Yep. They didn't have elders. The, it was, the government was a structure of basically committees and deacons. Uh, and the deacons functionally were those elder types. They made the decisions terms of vision, they would lay out recommendations, and then it would go to a congregational vote. There were also treasurers, which was also like a formal... Really? Like a financial committee board? Yeah. Who board, were who were, were they called board of governors, do you know? Or? They were called treasurers. Oh, board, I've never heard that Board before. of treasurers, yeah. And there were multiple... That so they took care fun. of the, <laughs> Yeah, they took care of the financial stuff. You had the deacons taking care of, I don't know, the day-to-day huh. all slash spiritual stuff. And then everything will go to a congregational vote. 
Did you ever sit through business meetings? No. No, I mean, I that's where I was. I went there till about probably eighth grade and then disappeared. All right. Well, for me, I was raised in the Plymouth Brethren uh, world. And a lot of people don't know who they are, but a lot of people have read like Alexander Strauch's book on biblical eldership, if they've ever studied elders. Um, he, he and my father were co-elders of the church that uh, my father helped start. And I didn't know this myself until I introduced dad to Alexander Strauch's book on biblical eldership in seminary. And my dad looks at me and he's like, you know who Alex is? I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> he's like, yes, you do. <laughs> That's how I found out that I knew Alex. And... Um, and then that's how I found out that the publishers that did his book, um, Doyle Roth, it's uh, uh, Roth Publishers, um, his wife was my Sunday school teacher, and I was secretly in love with her. Um, I even met her here just a, a year ago and told her that, and she blushed. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was kind of sweet. She's like in her 80s now. Um, anyhow, but so it was elder rule there. And very strongly, in a wonderful way, but very much one. My father was one of them. But then after that, we went into the EV free church world. And I honestly don't even know how the EV free works, evangelical free church. Do you? Not really. Yeah, I really don't. Um, I mean, there was a pastor and stuff I think, happened. I think it's a mixed batch. Uh, it could be. Um, from there, we went into Bible churches, which were usually some type of uh, elder led. And then we went, I ended up at Grace Community Church, which is elder led or elder rule actually. Um, and then when we came here, it's a Southern Baptist church. So we came back to a congregational church that had some form of elder, but there were no elders. So, well, there was, but he resigned until uh, we could form a new elder board. And so I actually had to lead our church into a true elder rule church um, and rewrote the constitution. That was a process of over a few years. So but, but I never functioned under a denominational office, never. Hmm. I, I mean, that whole world is totally foreign to me. Um, when I first heard the idea of elder, I thought it, I thought it was a weird cult <laughs> tribe, like the elders of the tribe. And like, you're such conservative, fundy type people. Now you got elders, what is this weird <laughs> stuff? Because I was just raised in a you know, congregational church where you had committees and it, I mean, the body of the church governed it, and that's how it worked. I actually think that's probably more true than I realize, is that just people are, um, I mean, it's what they're raised in, whatever that is, and they're comfortable with it. It works. Good or bad, it works. And and so they hear of other, because I actually went out to dinner with uh, Wells Lutheran, so Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran pastor and his wife. Um and we got to know them a little bit. And, and the wife was something. She was shocked at how we selected pastors. Because there, the denominational office basically selects mm -hmm. and gives you like, here's three choices you pick. And, oh, <laughs> you know, but it was very much uh, denominational led. They had bishops and, you know, it, it was very, very different. And, and to her, it just sounded, like you said, very strange and weird. And yet, as they talked about how they were led, um, it sounded strange to me. And so I, I think that we'll, we will deal with this a little bit with our listeners that, you know, depending on where they're coming from, um, 
Yeah. We may step on toes. We're not trying to, but we are We are going to try to show the biblical data. Yeah. Is that a fair way to say it? I think so. All well, right. Yeah, let me, let me give some of the historical data, I guess we'll call it. Um, so here, let me just start with forms of government. One, of, one debate that occurred in the Reformation and is something that still continues today is if there's a warrant for a formal government within the church, I mean, at all. Um, and if so, then the debate moves to what does that form look like? And then once that is determined, then the debate moves to how does it function and what is its scope? So if, if one sees the church as being present in Israel, then it's obviously going to be quite evident that there was a very large or very clear government with the various roles and functions. Yeah, yeah. You got the priests and yeah, prophets and Moses. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then... But if you see the church as a New Testament entity that's separate from Israel, which is what we do, then one has to look at the book of Acts and the epistles for indications and instruction on this. Yeah, yeah. So let, let us give some, and that's where we land. So let us give some evidence of organization that was already present, we would argue, early on, beginning in the book of Acts. So in chapter two, which is where the the church was launched essentially. Right. Verses 41 through 42 says these, it says, so then those who had received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, when you read that at first glance, there doesn't seem to be much here about government in the church, but there actually is. Um, notice they were being baptized. What right. does that presume? Well, it presumes you were vetted in some way. Yeah. To find out if you're a true believer, right? Yeah. You don't get to do the, what wasn't that Steve Furtick that did the. Just stick a pool up there. And if you want to be baptized, come on up. Yeah. And, and then they had a bunch of people already start planned and they start walking forward to, to kind of, what's oh, it right. called? Prime the pump. Yeah. And when that came out, I'm like, what a fraud. Yep. Um, yeah, there there has to they had what they and the vetting process is in that phrase had received his word. Um, it's not just for showing up to get baptized was not enough. You had to show that you had received the word that Peter had preached, which is the gospel. And if you could, and so that right away you got organization. Some somebody's vetting. Yeah, and, and there's there's a, a an, an aspect of an authority there to determine this is legitimate or not. Right. And, and somebody organized that. So it, it is kind of cool. Um, there's also the, that they added the members. Yeah. Yeah. There, they, and there were that day added three. Well, what are they added to? Right. Well, and how do you know it was 3000 or 2000? Someone's counting. Something's counting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so right away you see the very beginnings um, on that. What else? Well, then it says, um, but many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Yeah, that's in Acts 4.4. 4. Yeah. So, again, someone's counting. Um, but only the men. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, so, they, they be, <laughs> uh, we're getting clicked off. Um, <laughs> for, for, that's what it says. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they also, they began to practice the Lord's Supper, which would require a certain level of administration, if you think about that. Um, this is something that, that is often overlooked until you, you start your own church, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Someone's got to do this. Um, well, I mean, I think about you, because 
we, we did it the old fashioned way of we'd pass the plates to everybody, right? And they would just, and it took a while. Take their cup and their right. cracker. And then we would do one at a time. So you do the, the bread and then you do your thing, eat it. Then we'd pass out the plate. When you planted your church, it, it became more complex than I ever thought about. It's like, that's just how we do it. And so you guys came up with a different process. Well, yeah, and some of that was because we, we were meeting in a movie theater. Right. With, you know, these stadium seating. Lounge chairs. chairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one thing about getting this building that I've heard from people is that. I, I, I was like, so are you, are you, are you guys going to, anybody going to miss the theater? They're like, well, we're, how do you go up from a lounge dream or a dream lounger or whatever? <laughs> yeah. To a pew. <laughs> <laughs> from the sixties. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so we had to figure out a way to do it efficiently that didn't involve people going up and down steps with plates and juice. And, and somebody has to make a decision. Exactly. Somebody has to say, this is how it's done. This is how, how we're, we're going to do it. And all of that just speaks to government. So, so they're, they're right away at the very beginning, we see it. Then in Acts 5, this is kind of a long passage, but it's a fun one to read. So I'm going to read it. In Acts 5, it says, But a certain man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge, and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down, breathed his last, and a great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men arose and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to test to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out as well. And she fell immediately at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in, found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Again, it's a cool story, but there's government going yeah. on there. How's that for a youth ministry, though? <laughs> <laughs> and the young men carried yep. her out. Yeah, apparently that, that's what young men do. They're responsible for carrying, dealing with any dead bodies during the service. <laughs> Can you imagine us telling Mateo, hey, Mateo, come here, just in case somebody dies today? Here's some gloves. <laughs> and a shovel. We won't ask questions. <laughs> Out back by the mulberry tree. <laughs> that would be terrible. Oh, we're going to get in trouble. <laughs> Anyhow, um, but you, you see discipline going on there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you, you've got the apostles. Um, they're obviously leading the church. In fact, you even see that they had, in the early church, there was a very specific way they gave their offerings. And it wasn't, you know, in some box where nobody saw you. Each person came up and laid their offering at the feet of the apostles. Yeah. I always use this when people tell me, well, nobody should know what you gave. It's like, and it, because, you know, that's just the way it's done. I'm like, well, if you want to be really biblical, you should lay your money at the feet of the elders. And they're like, oh, oh. <laughs> but obviously 
there was that, and there was this this accounting process. I mean, they were dealing with the money. Yeah. There, there's the accountability. It wasn't just a bunch of people given and hey, we don't really care. There was a real accountability to the point that people literally lost their lives in that early church. Yeah, well, and in in um in this early culture, that lane of things at somebody's feet was a sign of respect to authority. Right. Which again shows that there's governmental aspects going on here. Right. This is like what happened when. Saul was persecuting and they came and they laid their cloaks at his feet. He was, he was the leader there. Um, so here you see it now within the church, the apostles are there and they lay this at their feet. They're, they're the leaders, they're, there's authority, there's hierarchy. And, and no one's fighting this, right. no one's arguing. It's just understood, these guys are the ones in charge. So again, an, an, an early indication that there was government. Okay, another one is Acts chapter six. This says, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables, but select from among you, brethren, seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word." And the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, and the proselyte from Antioch. Um, and these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. So here again, there, there was a process to appeal wrongdoings, evidently, and the people understood that they should not merely rebel or just throw a fit, but yeah. they should appeal. They should take this to the powers that be. Well, and they knew who to appeal to. Exactly. Um, we also see that there was a basic job description here as well. The apostles knew that, or what was their, their central duty, um, and it's not social justice, no. by the this way. This is a weird, weird thing called prayer and ministry of the word. Huh. Huh. <clears throat> the apostles uh, also here directed Tim, notice. Tim Keller should notice that. We've been triply clicked off. Um, <laughs> the, apostles, the apostles uh, directed the people to pick up and to vote for people to help serve the needy. So notice there's an aspect in which they, again, bear that authority. There's a direction happening. There were clear requirements then laid out by the apostles that defined and then confined the people's decisions. I like that one because it wasn't just, because this is a passage we'll deal with it on congregational rule where they appeal to this that, the church chose, and it's like yes, but the apostles told them the the, the parameters. You you know you don't get to just choose willy nilly, as I like to say. I mean, here's how you're going to have to choose. Now within that, yeah. go for it. But it was the elders. Yeah, I mean the apostles who were saying that's how it is. That is the key verso for congregational rule. It is that, that's often used. Um, but then notice also a new in this passage a new decision making body came into being as a result of that process. Yeah. So, yeah. So again, we're only six chapters into Acts in the brand new church and we're already, you're seeing, it goes from just going from home to home and learning the apostles doctrine that you're actually now already, it's just, wherever you have humans, you have to have some kind of there's an There has to be, order. A there's a natural organization. Yeah, or chaos or the loudest or the strongest or the most obnoxious will ultimately uh, be the one that directs. So there has to be some order put into it. Yeah. Always. I even pointed that out with when I 
taught on the passage in Luke where Christ is selecting his 12, his first disciples, and showed how there was a hierarchy even within the disciples. He had the 120, then the 70, then the 12. Then within the 12, there were groups. There, yeah. were, there were three groups of four. Each of those three groups of four had a disciple who was kind of oh, really? the leader of that four. Yeah, when you compare the accounts in Matthew and Luke, there's three groups of four, and the, the organization of the names are different in each one, but the one in charge of that group of four is always the same. Interesting. It's consistent. But then you had the, the inner three, and then within Peter, James, and John, right. and then within the inner three, you had Peter as the disciple. And then you also had that very personal relationship of John, who was the beloved disciple. The one whom he loved, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but, but that to say is where you have people, you always have, to, you always have naturally an organization yes. structure being formed. Um, then another passage would be in Acts 15. This is huge, so we won't read the whole passage, just some select quotes. In verses 1 and 2, it says, And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's, that's a pretty strong statement. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate and, and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders, the first time you see that, concerning this issue. Then in verses 4 through 7, and when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. So all three are broke out there. And they reported all that God had done with them. But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders, not the church, just the apostles and elders came together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And then he goes on. So here we actually have the very first formal kind of council to determine practice and worship beyond the local church. But what's even more important is to notice the phrase, apostles and elders. It, it shows up in verses 2, 4, 6, 22, and 23. In fact, here's 22 and 23. Here's the conclusion. Then it seemed good to the apostles and elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send out to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Judas called Barsabbas, uh, called Barsabbas, I can't still say that, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter by them. Now listen to the difference here. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles' greetings. So what you have here is you've now evolved from just the apostles to now you have this plurality of elders and it appears that their authority was quite similar because it's now apostles and elders. It's not the apostles and then they're telling what the elders are supposed to do. And through though the church is very much involved in the whole final decision, uh, the edicts actually come from the apostles and elders, not the whole church. And we also see strong evidence that when leadership and authoritative roles on be, uh, uh, we see that when leadership and authoritative roles on behalf of the church were involved, I, I'm not trying to be a jerk here, but it was the men who were to do it. So right, they right. were the, it wasn't a, well, we need to have some gender fluidity here or inclusiveness or something. It's like, no, the men, the men go and deliver this because this is an official edict 
from the apostles and elders. Um, so it's a very fascinating passage because doctrine was being developed now into a basic theological grid and then applied because yeah, it's like, wow, there's some real questions. We got, Things got complex once you stuck Gentiles well, into the mix. And it's an excellent observation because it also shows what we keep on talking about when we're also doing theology of the Holy Spirit and now certainly theology of the church, how the book of Acts is very unique in redemptive history because you're seeing this progression and this development. Absolutely. So now we're a little bit later in the book of Acts and the elders are more prominent, whereas early on, like in chapter five, not so much. Yeah. It was just the apostles. Right. But now you're seeing that transition already beginning to take place. Right. And so by the time you get to the epistles, which you're going to talk about, it's no longer apostles. It's just Elders. Elders and pastors, right? So with that, though, um, now we do see evidence in the epistles. Um, and these are just merely a few examples of organization, and most of them uh, we're going to examine in later subjects related to the church. But you have, first of all, the presence of church leaders and officers. So in Titus 1.5, there's that, uh, that command to appoint elders in every city. Um, in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, you see the requirement or the qualifications for elders and also deacons. So mm -hmm. now you have the development of deacons. First uh, Timothy five nine through eleven. There was a former list of what's called widows indeed. Yeah, that word indeed is important. Um, these were to be cared for by the church, but it also appears that they in turn serve the church in a formal capacity, since there's now qualifications for them to be met. Right. It's not that you just get fed, but they actually now serve the church in a formal way. It's kind of cool. Yeah. In 1 Timothy 5, 17, there's some level of orderly compensation that's being given now for teaching elders. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2, there's the setting aside of offerings in an orderly manner. Right. In 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 12, there's also, again, a formal list of widows indeed who had to meet these qualifications. Right. I'm sorry, I just realized I doubled up that. Yeah. Um, so the biblical data shows that the early church was not, not a vague band of believers though who wandered about doing whatever seemed good to them at the time they quickly developed uh, a form and a function to be able to worship and to gather in an effective and efficient and also orderly manner and this was done under the care again of the oversight of the apostles uh, and it followed a clear and consistent path and i find it interesting because i don't know how often you've dealt with like house church movement folks a little bit but yeah i find them to be more frustrating than helpful when I deal with them, because they really are like that roving band of independent people. They really just, they'll come in and visit and come to the church for a time because they like the teaching, but they're very quick to let you know, hey, yeah, yeah, no, we, we have a house church, but there's no clarity of who's in charge. Everyone just kind of shares however they want to share. And um, I, I, don't, I, I don't see that being modeled at all in, in, the book of Acts. So that's all we're going to do today. We think that's enough because um, we're going to get into next the the historical views of like the Roman Catholic Church and stuff like that. But um, our goal was simply today is to show that there is clear evidence for some form of government. What we have not done is to develop what seems to be the normative form for churches or how it will actually function in, in reality. So next, next time we will give a quick flyover of the forms that exist today via the Roman Catholic Church and Protestant churches. Uh, but we would actually be interested in hearing from you. Um, we keep asking this. We're hoping you might actually take us up on this. Uh, just a quick little message on what form of church government 
do you have, your, your church? Uh, it w- actually will help us as we, we write these scripts so that we can maybe include points that would be a real or practical help to you and interest to you as a believer. So for all we know, we have some Eastern Orthodox uh, church folks listening. Um, we're, I've chosen not to write on that at this point, but if there are some of you out there, I'll include that as well. Um, we don't plan on dealing with them, but hey, if some of you are from that tradition, we would want to include you just so that we're making certain that our listeners are all hearing about where they're coming from, but also why we don't maybe agree with those. Regardless, though, what we do hope is that you're resting fully in the finished work of Christ. Uh, as we come to the end of this year, may each of you reflect on what God has taught you over the year and how your faith has grown and changed for the better. We, we'd ask you to give thanks to God that this is the good work he is doing in you through the Spirit as he brings you into greater conformity to his beloved Son. And so next time, we will continue with something related to the church, specifically church government. But until then, make certain to tune in, join the conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on church government. Don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review on iTunes. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And as always, tell a friend.